Now introducing the Minor Wisdom Trio! Minor Wisdom! Yo, how you doing? Yeah, that's right. Um, this week I've got Campbell Duncan on. Campbell is one of those that came to me from my podcast Pimps. Uh, most notably, Mel Hinosa Edwards. Probably butchered her name. But uh, Mel Edwards. Uh, stop trying to be white. White. Me, not her. Um, but yeah, I've got Campbell Duncan on. And it uh, was an like a pretty awesome chat for candid one-act play conversation. Uh, I actually really enjoyed this one. We could have probably talked for a very long time uh, about one act play, our feelings towards it, and ways to adapt, adjust better, all that kind of stuff. Um, and it was just a really fun conversation. I will say that there were a few times, uh, one was my fault. I don't know if the other one was Campbell's fault or not, but uh, there were there were three edits. You're going to hear three kind of like awkward drops or weird moments. Um, two of those, I just lost audio and I was wiggling cables and doing things. And, um, cause Campbell's mouth was, I was seeing, uh, uh, the mouth move, but not hearing the audio. So I just kind of chalked it up to my stuff, my equipment, but it also could have been Wi-Fi. I don't know. So you're going to hear these kind of awkward, uh, jumps where Campbell's talking about something and then it jumps to uh, the kind of the end of the thought. Um, and then the other thing is that my zoom, my school no longer pays for zoom. I know, right? Private school, right? And so I've only got 40 minute zoom. So I've been switching over to Google meet, but, um, for some reason, uh, it wasn't Google meet wasn't working with Campbell's, um, email. It was like a school, the, the, the school was blocking it or something. I don't know, man. So it happens technology crazy. So a couple things to discuss, uh, UIL theatrical design, is has been out over the last week by the way happy spring break to those of you that had a spring break hope it was restful and rejuvenating so that you can finish up the year only really two and a half ish months left little maybe two uh but anyway uh congratulations to those of you that have students that were successful with theatrical design um the other thing is uh you should go buy a shirt so I don't hustle shirts until I have expenses and I've had recent expenses for this podcast. And as you know, I don't, I don't hustle anything to make money. Uh, I hustle stuff to replace money I've already, you know, kind of spent. So it'd be great if you could go support the podcast. I know that there are like some charges on it that make it a little more expensive than it probably is worth. Not going to lie, but um, those of you that have purchased one or on the fence, thank you. Those of you that haven't even, don't even know what I'm talking about. There's a link in the, uh, the uh, description of this podcast. There always is. Another thing are the Mab workshops. Uh, again, don't get paid for these. I'm just pushing some friends stuff. Uh, but Mel Edwards, Abraham Ramirez and Brandon Marks. That's why it's called Mab, Mel, Abraham, Brandon. Hello. Uh, they have some workshops happening this summer. And I'm going to put their link in uh, my description. They're kind of all over the place uh, when it comes to the state of Texas. 
uh, well, sort of, uh, Temple, sort of mid, I guess, Temple, McKinney, and Louisville uh, throughout the summer. Um, oh, Sealy, I'm looking at it now. San Antonio. Okay, okay. So we got a few locations. And they're tech workshops. And they're not necessarily designed for tech people, although you could benefit from it. But it is meant for people that need to learn how to do this stuff. Okay. Um, so just keep that in mind. Uh, the, the idea that I don't do tech, mm, you should, you should learn how to do some of the basic stuff. Um, I don't remember. I, I recorded quite a few interviews this week is that's kind of what I promised myself. I would do when I came back to this now, almost 40 episodes ago, uh, almost a year ago, but I recorded Campbell Duncan, Linda major, uh, Shirley Itzkovich. Neil Gage, Margaret Davis, Brad Neese, Charles Hobby. Got another one tomorrow. Another couple coming up. So uh, I do them in chunks now because uh, who doesn't like a good chunk? You know what I'm saying? Anyway, but um, I also, I happened to listen to last week's episode, at least the beginning of it. And uh, I, I noticed that there's an ad <laughs> at the beginning. Uh, I don't know who the hell put that there. Uh, I sure as hell didn't, but so the podcast people, if you're listening, thanks for the ad. Where are my residuals? Give me my money. Um, anyway, I think that's it. Yeah, that's about it. Got another contest this week. Those of you that are doing your by districts, <clears throat> some of you are fitting in your districts at the beginning of the week and then doing your by districts in the middle. You're crazy. Um, I'm just going to say it. You're crazy. That does, that does absolutely no good for the growth and education of your show and for your students. It does nothing. It does absolutely nothing. You hear from an adjudicator on Tuesday and are expected to get better in 48 hours. Um, that's not going to happen, right? So uh, if you are scheduling your districts and by districts in the same week, then I hope you have a good reason. If you're doing it because you just kind of want to do it all in one week, then you're not getting the point. Um, you're just not, uh, or whoever schedules it isn't getting the point and you should fight for having some time that you can apply the, the notes, the growth, uh, because some of you, you're having a, uh, an audience for the first time at district. And now you have 48 hours to say, Hey kids, I know that was your first time to have an audience and here's where they reacted and here's how we're going to get better and here's how we're going to change things and here's what we may have to cut because the audience made our show longer. Um, just my two cents. I just kind of went on a soapbox there. Anyway, hope you guys have a great week. Back to, back to school, back to school to prove to my dad that I'm not a fool. Have a great week. Enjoy Campbell Duncan. Rate this podcast buy a shirt, go to the Mab workshops, do all the things. Holla. So I, this is my uh, 17th year in education. Um, I uh, am currently in the Leander ISD school district. I've been there for two years as the head director. Um, so my kind of journey, I guess, starts unconventionally. Um, I didn't do high school theater. Um, I was a band kid up until my junior and senior years. Um, and I switched over to the much cooler, uh, debate team. 
And uh, and I did uh, all the interp events, so dramatic interp and humorous interp and duet acting and all of the, those those things. Um, and I really loved it. Um, at the time, I was considering going to school to become a uh, a lawyer. Kind of teachers, um, and they had always kind of wanted, I guess, more. And uh, not that teaching isn't more, but you know, they had wanted me to to go on and, and not have to maybe struggle as much as teachers do sometimes. And um, so I, I went to Texas tech um, and I got an English degree and I took a couple of theater classes. I'd had a friend say, Hey, you're funny. You should try theater. And, um, and I did it. I really enjoyed it, but I thought, you know, it's a hobby. It's a, it's a fun hobby. Took a couple classes, did my English degree and um, planned on being an English teacher, um, kind of broke the news to my parents. That was the, that was the goal. And um, I graduated in December. And so um, finding a job was a little bit tricky. Um, and the job that I found that was open was uh, teaching a self-contained special ed class at an elementary. So like the furthest thing from high school English. And um, that job was very rewarding in a lot of ways, but it was very emotionally taxing. Um, I was working with students who were um, profoundly, uh, had profound emotional disturbances um, and uh, a lot of kids who were like pretty autistic and, and things. So emotionally it took a big toll. And what I found is my like comfort, my self-care was doing like local community theater and um, so if I had time, you know, I was acting or uh, if I didn't have time to, to, to commit to acting, I was in the shop working and um, and I loved it. And it just became something that I was doing kind of constantly, it became almost a second job. And um, about three years after I started teaching a, a high school uh, at, an, at the ninth grade school uh, in Midland, a uh, high school theater position came open. And I thought, well, I enjoy it. You know, maybe this is time for a change. And so I challenged the test. Uh, I don't know what I was thinking, but challenged the test. And for some reason, they hired me. Um, and uh, I ended up working there for three years. And I loved it. Um, you know, the the time commitment was way different. It was obviously a much bigger time commitment. But I absolutely loved it. Um, I loved working with the kids and getting to create and and doing all of those things, but I really kind of stepped into high school theater as the teacher um, for the first time. I'd, I since I'd never done it, and I'd never really done it academically, so I was at a bit of a disadvantage. So I surrounded myself with people who I felt were good mentors and who had done it for a really long time, and um, I felt I could learn from. So uh, after teaching for about six years in uh, Midland, Texas. Um, my wife at the time was transferred down to Austin. So I came down to Austin and I came down during the middle of the big hiring freeze. And, uh, so that was fun. So I ended up having to take a year off of teaching and working in the public or private sector, I guess. And, uh, I hated it. I hated every minute. <laughs> I hated, uh, just the kind of same thing every single day. And so Got into it, but got back into, into education as quickly as I could. And um, I had mentioned I, I got an interview at a, a middle school uh, or at the middle school in Elgin. And I mentioned during my interview um, 
you know, that I had not seen any theater classes or anything like that on their website, but that I would love to like sponsor a, a drama club or, you know, something of that nature. And um, Risa Cooper, who's been the administrator over there and is phenomenal. Um, she hired me to teach sixth grade honors English. And I think two days before the school year started, came into my classroom and asked if I was excited about teaching theater. And I was like, wait, what? No, I'm like, I'm English. And she was like, oh, no, you have these English classes, but you're also going to be teaching theater. We decided since you're certified, like we'd go ahead and open it. And so with about two days warning, I had to create a middle school theater program, um, having never taught middle school at all. And um, so I did, and it was, it was fairly successful. There were bumps along the way, of course. And um, and I loved it. And, and uh, I loved the kids. Um, Elgin definitely was, you know, in a, in a transition period at that time. Um, so the, the student population was changing drastically. It was going from being kind of a farming community uh, to having a much more um, diverse population. And so it gave me the opportunity to give those kids like a place to be and a place to like hang out and something to do after school that was not sports, um, although that is important, but it was, you know, different. And um, so I was there for about six years. I loved it. I loved the kids. Uh, in that time, I was able to work with the high school as well. Um, Cindy Timms was there at the time, and she was gracious enough to let me come up and um, and help her, like, assistant direct. And I was able to direct a couple of the um, musicals. They brought back the musical theater program at the high school. Um, so I directed um, Little Shop of Horrors and Susical, and um, and it was awesome because I was working with kids that I'd worked with before and um, getting to kind of stretch my legs. And toward year five, um, I really wanted to move back into the high school sector. That was really kind of my goal um, from the beginning, but uh, that was really kind of, it became a, a more important thing to me. And so, you know, I talked with Risa and said, you know, I would not leave to make a horizontal move. I wanted to make a vertical move. And she agreed. And um, a position came open in Dripping Springs uh, as an assistant director. And, you know, at Dripping Springs has the reputation of being this powerhouse theater program. And so I was kind of like, I don't know if, you know, my skill set's going to match, you know, what they need. And um through a series of connections that I'd made through uh, organizations like TETA or TXTA and uh, One Act and, and different things, um, along with the skills that I brought, like I was able to get over there as an uh, as an AD, and it was so fun. Uh, you know, working in a program where the kids were super focused, and and a lot of them were going to go and study this in college and wanted to do this professionally. And um, so I got to keep my feet in both the tech and uh, acting world. Um, it was an amazing team. We did great, great stuff. And um, the situation kind of evolved and I was able to apply for a head position, um, which was, again, one of those things I was like, I don't know if, you know, my skill set is going to get me over there. Uh, but just, you know, through connections and through my, you know, canon of work and the things that I'd done. Um, I ended up moving over to Leander and I've been there and, um, you know, I replaced, uh, or not replaced. I came after, uh, Linda major. Um, so that was a big, those are big, big shoes to fill. Um, because she's definitely a, a 
kind of an icon in Texas theater um, or Texas educational theater. So I've been there and um, we're just kind of, you know, post COVID kind of reinventing the way that we're doing things. And, um, you know, I challenged them this year that we were like, our kind of mantra was we just do good theater. So if it's not good, we're not going to, you know, invest in it. And the kids really have bought into that of like, okay, that's our goal. We're not trying to, you know, but we, of course it would be nice to be the best, but we're, you know, we just wanted to go theater. If we're happy with it, then, then we're good. If our audience is happy with it, like more power to us. And, um, so it's awesome. You know, we, I, it's a completely different role that I had not really had before. Um, you know, so I've gone to being a singleton for a really long time and then part of a big group. And, uh, now it's myself and, and the tech director at our program. And, uh, you know, we're hoping to continue to grow and, and, uh, you know, make a splash and do the things. Um, but that's, that's it. That's kind of my journey. Yeah. Good. Uh, I, before we move on, I have to ask about your background. You have yeah. quite the wall of, <laughs> of fun stuff. Uh, but so, you know, obviously this is not an audio or a, a video podcast, but so it does me no good to talk about uh, a visual, but I have to ask you, you have the triangle on the wall uh yeah it what what is that an art piece is that like the is that like the drafting triangle or what i mean what what is that for so one of the things i love the most um about theater just in general is set design and scenic design and a few years ago um after we had been nominated and won um a scenic design award um, one of my students said, oh, hey, at Hobby Lobby, they have these drafters, you know, drafting triangles. I was like, I got to get one of those. Yeah. So that's, uh, it's a, some of the stuff is, you know, art and original things that I've purchased, you know, at various markets. Right. We enjoy. So yeah, the whole house is kind of this wild and, and woolly collection of crazy things. <laughs> that's fun. Uh, that's very uh, uh, typical of a theater uh, person. So, um, so uh, th- you you mentioned that you you know weren't a theater person growing up, and so uh, your first soiree with theater was just pre- being an educator, right? So, at what point did you start feeling comfortable? Like you kind of felt comfortable in the classroom, or a- even as a director, or do you not yet? <laughs> Um, I think it, it's a little bit of both, honestly. I think um, I think I feel very competent as like a production director, um, and and very com- comfortable on the technical side, um, just having done it so many times. As far as the education piece, I think um, it kind of comes and goes. It depends on what we're we're talking about. Um, you know, having an English degree and having been trained to be an English teacher, a lot of what we were looking at was like literary criticism and, you know, how to digest novels and things. And so I think I feel incredibly comfortable teaching those things and everything else, because I don't have that formal training myself, um, I've had to kind of learn as I go. And so I really teach what works for me. Um, and then I expand on that. Here's some other options. Here's some other ways to do that. Um, just because, you know, I don't, you know, I've, I've gone back and I've read a billion million books 
and I try to put those things in practice. Um, but it really just depends. Um, you know, I, I, I think I have learned over the years the power of I don't know yet. Um, and so if a kid asks a question or needs, you know, like, how do I do this? You know, we can kind of talk through it. And then I'm like, let me go look. You know, I don't know. Let's let's see. Um, I would say every year I feel more confident. Um, and, you know, I think it's a catch-22. Um, I don't ever want to be the person in the room that knows all of the things. Because I feel like at that point you kind of stop learning. and um, I don't ever want to stop learning. So I think it's okay that I don't know every single thing. Um, I'm an authority on what I'm an authority on. And beyond that, I'm like, here's best case scenario. And so I think that that is a, um, it has at times been a hindrance, but at times it's been a huge benefit to just be like the, you know, the person in the room that, is willing to look it up. I'm willing to say, I don't know where I think a lot of, um, directors, not a lot, some directors, um, may not be willing to, to make those same concessions. Yeah. I agree with that. Uh, what, what is it that's unique about the way you approach and direct a show based on your background in English and such, uh, compared to maybe the, the, the more typical, you know, uh, groomed theater director that did theater when they were four years old all the way until the classroom? What What is it that, that you bring that's kind of a little unique? And also maybe uh, the second part of this question, and maybe you answer it in the first part, what is it that we could learn uh, as, you know, these lifelong theater people uh, that think we know everything that would love to, you know, I personally, I'll, I'll, while you kind of think of a, of a question, uh, I took on a Shakespeare class this year, uh, in the middle of the year and they were used to writing papers and I don't read or grade papers. Like I just don't have that background. Um, I don't know how to approach it. I can be like, yeah, your English is great. I, that's about all I can offer. So, so it's that kind of thing that you would probably step into a class like that, being able to assess their literature and their their way, their style of writing better than I could. How do you offer that? How does that translate to the stage and from the page to the stage, if you will? So first, as far as you know, teaching English, one of the things I do hate the most is um, like teaching writing and grading uh, English, uh, essays. Um, but I do love the the literature part. So as far as, um, you know, what I bring, I think I, I spend a great deal of time on the text with the kids, kind of breaking down what is being said, how is it being said, um, why is it, you know, that, what does that actually mean? So we, we spend a lot of time with context and subtext and, and kind of breaking down, especially in comedies, definitely with Shakespeare. Um, so we do a lot of kind of literary background. So um, we do that right up front. I call it table work. And so we we all sit together and we kind of break through things. We do a lot of script scoring and breaking things down into smaller edible chunks and um, which lends itself later to like bits and things that are, you know, this moment, this um uh, this emotional shift, you know, like those kinds of things. 
it also helps the kids with tactics and being able to figure out like, okay, in this moment, you know, whereas I don't, I mean, I'm not saying that most high school teachers don't do that, but I think that that's something that I do that's important to me to kind of digest the material. The other thing that I bring is because I don't have that formal training, I see things through the lens of an audience member more than I see them through the lens of a director. So the visual, the whole picture is really, really important to me. Um, in a lot of my shows, especially in my in my musicals, the bigger musicals, the ensemble is hugely important to me. Um, so if I have an ensemble that in the script is 10 people, I may have 40 students in that because I want them to live in that world. And I want them to do stuff in the background and, and you know, and be interesting and bring life to the, the set. And then we take them away when there's like a really important moment and then we bring them back on. But because I view things from an audience perspective, um, I think it's a little bit more like, I don't understand that. We need to clarify that more or that doesn't look right. You know, I don't know what doesn't look right about it, but it doesn't feel right or it doesn't, you know, whatever, it doesn't sound right. And so I think approaching it from that perspective um, allows me to not get mired down sometimes by like the little stuff, the, you know, the things that could get in the way of having this beautiful performance. Um, and so I think that that's a benefit. Again, it, it could be argued both ways that it's a benefit, but I do think that that those are kind of the two things. Um, and then a, a third would be that because I don't have that formal training that a lot of my peer, um, you know, directors do, all of my education has been, and the things that I teach has been hands-on. So I've never, you know, I've sat in a couple of classes and things in college, but I didn't ever have to sit and, you know, it wasn't like, say, uh, you know, sage on the stage. It was all doing. So everything was, this is what we need to build and this is what it needs to look like, or this is what we need to do in this scene. This is, so everything was active. Everything was hands-on, which for me, that is how I learned. So that is a benefit to me. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So then I got to find out how your, you know, initial um, introduction to one act play was uh, and, and kind of how that went and if that's still going as well, because, you know, that's a whole, a be, you know, it's a, a lot of people say it's a, it's a, it's an, it's a genre onto its own, you know, uh, Texas theater is its own genre uh, because, we've, we've turned it into just that. So how was that introduction to you and kind of talk about kind of how you've grown as a one act play director as well? One act, uh, that my very first one act experience was maybe one of the biggest learning curves I had as a director. And, um, I guess because I didn't have the experience as a student in one act, I kind of saw it as an interesting challenge. I saw the rule book as a challenge. It was, you know, like how far can we bend this before we break this or, you know, and so um, the first several years I used the handbook as like a Bible, like it has to fit within these parameters. And then, you know, slowly started to be a little bit more creative in, in the way that I was doing things. But 
My first one act um, play was uh, The Glass Menagerie. And um, I, at the time, uh, I was in Midland, and uh, Deb Shaw was, uh, and she is still the fine arts director there. And um, she came and was like, this is a mistake. And I was like, no, 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 this is great. This is going to be fantastic. She's like, this is, no, don't do it. You shouldn't do this. I'm like, no, 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 it's going to be fine. I know, I know my kids. I know what we can do. I know whatever. So I got real ambitious and I did all this weird stuff with it. And, um, and we went and we competed and we did horribly, absolutely horribly. Um, my students had done one act festivals and things in middle school. And so they actually knew more than I did, you know, contest wise. And I think at the very first contest, um, we, we took our unit set pieces. I didn't realize they were there at the facility where we competed. Um, so yeah, nobody told, nobody tells new teachers that. Um, so I had to, you know, move those, which was, I, again, why nobody said anything, I have no clue, but showed up with our own unit set pieces and did all the things and, you know, it was terrible. And then the next year, um, you know, I did a, a Commedia piece, a, a stylized piece and used the unit set in a completely different way and, and you know, just kind of began seeing like the challenge of um, the exciting challenge, fun challenge of doing things in a different way. And um, and we did very well with that show and, um, you know, had a lot of fun with it. And so over the years, I've just kind of evolved. Um, I enjoy one act um, as a fun opportunity to do maybe more artistic work. Um, I think it gives us the opportunity sometimes to push some boundaries and do things in kind of an unconventional way because essentially one act is doing theater for theater people. And so, you know, I can't do some weird artsy fartsy thing for a general audience and expect to have the same understanding of what we are trying to do. And so I think I view it that way. Um, I still am a big proponent of taking the roles and seeing how far you can go with them. And, um, you know, I, I like the challenge of you have six lights, you have these pieces, you have this many number of actors or, well, you know, this many number of students that can be involved. Um, I enjoy that. I enjoy going and seeing other directors work and, and their students work and the way that they are doing and presenting things. Um, what I don't enjoy about it is that it has become the, the beacon on the hill for Texas theater, because at the end of the day, at most, it's only including 24 students. And you know, I do multiple shows a year that include way more students than that, that are, you know, full length and that the audience understands and can be excited by. Um, but also because it's a one trick pony, you know, you have everybody working so hard, you go once and you may be out. And so not that all that work is for naught, but I wish the one act contest would move more I don't know how it could, but I wish it would move more into the the same system as choir and band where essentially everyone could receive a one and then you move on, you know, based on scores or whatever. Um, 
but it it's it's very difficult um, to explain to students at the uh, district contest that I was just at. There were three comedies and three dramas, and that's a a pretty interesting mix, given that everybody's always believed comedies don't advance. And advancing from our district were two comedies and one drama, and our alternate was the other the other third comedy. And it's hard to explain to kids like how you can objectively look at six different shows and then rank them. And I really do wish it was a little bit more individualized where you're looking at school one and this is what school one did and here's school two. So that piece is frustrating. You know, I tell my kids, one act is obviously important. I want us to do well. I want us to advance. Obviously like all of those things are true. Um, but at the end of the day, I just want them to do good theater. If they are proud of the show that they that they produced, if they are sure, uh, then then I'm good. I'm I'm happy. You know, we didn't advance out of district this year, and we got outside. And you know, there's always some tears and things like that that, that we save for the bus. Um, <laughs> but I just asked them, like, "Are you proud of the show that we did?" they're like, yeah. And I'm like, then that's really all that matters. You know, is there anything that we could have done that was hugely different? Yeah. No, you know, like that was the best that we could have done on that day. Okay. Then I'm happy. I'm not going to hold that over anybody's head. I'm not going to, you know, whatever. We did some cool stuff. And, you know, so I think it's a, as a contest, it's a mixed bag. Right. It, it has so many benefits. I definitely for smaller schools, you know, that may be the only show they do all year and they're pulling some teacher out of another class and like here, do this. And so I'm, I'm glad for the contest um, on one hand and on the other, I think we're in a, in a transistory period where we really do need to look at updating the way the contest is, is done. Yeah. Yeah. I, but definitely an outsider. Oof, it is a whole different world. Yeah, the, it's, it's you know, the I didn't grow up, I grew up doing theater. I didn't grow up doing one-act play. And um, I feel like, I've like so now I'm in private school, so now I don't do one-act play. I'm, you know, contest manager stuff. But one of the things that I've kind of convinced myself over the last year and a half or so is that I think everybody should have a zone, but zone doesn't do anything except award individuals. And every school, you can you can rank them by all means, but it doesn't have a bearing on if you advance to district. So district is the first time you get sort of, quote, knocked out, right? And zone uh, is just almost a preview level um, so that every school at least performs twice because it kind of goes with what you sort of said at the beginning of, or middle of what you were saying, but the doing all that work for not, which is again, not true. It's you do it for one, <laughs> but you may only compete once and to do, to have all that stress, all that rehearsal to only perform well, once, but yeah. One of the things that I've seen some schools doing, which I am a big proponent of is like the festival. festival content. Yeah. And so, you know, they're not advancing. Um, they award all of the individual awards. I don't, you know, some of them rank, some of them yeah. give one, two, three, you know, but a lot of them are, it's just the individual awards and then you get, you know, your critique. So it essentially turns it into like a, you know, superpower clinic. Right. Uh, 
but it gives the kids an opportunity to perform and, and see what works and, and have the structure of the contest before the first time you try it out is at zone or at district or whatever. And, but I, I, I agree. I think the more opportunities that we can give them to, to put their work in front of people and get information back, you know, I think, I think I love when clinicians and uh, adjudicators start with, this is one person's opinion of one, you know, uh, of this show today. And, and I think that that, I think that's good. You know, I think I I encourage my kids to work with other directors and do other things, but I think that's important. The thing that I, I think, you know, if the, if the non-advancing festivals continues, what we've got to start looking at is cost. Right. As if your program can support that, then wonderful. You can go, you know, even with clinics, if your program can financially support it, great. But you don't see a lot of the smaller schools or Title I schools that have the ability to to do that. And so those kids miss out. Right. Yeah, it's uh, I I know that. At least when it comes to uh, the Rio Grande Valley and even West Texas and such. I know Paula has been working to uh, sort of figure out how to make those connections there and, 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 and figure out how those schools can be just as equitable and all that kind of stuff. Cause I was just, I was just contest manager for a district that uh, two schools rather, rather close to the contest dropped out. Uh, and they, they had to because of a variety of reasons, but you know, um, one of those reasons was f- something that could be easily uh, fixed. Um, you know, but that's uh, one act play, man. It's <laughs> it's a whole beast. Some people, and I like what you said about the 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 sort of beacon thing. That you know, the it's true. You know, there there are a lot of theater teachers that um, get jobs or don't get jobs based on simply their one act play success or failures uh, and nothing to do with what they do for their community and their campus. So that was definitely, um, you know, a concern of mine going to Leander mm-hmm. um, as the head director, having not been a head director before and um, Leander's a, a five, a five A school and they have a, a history of doing very well in one act and um, which is wonderful. And of course I want to continue that tradition. Um, but it, it's, it's difficult because it puts in, you know, coaches, athletic coaches and, and different things, they have the same, you know, pressure on them to perform. They just have more opportunities to do it. Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, I think if you, you know, if you judge a director's effectiveness solely on one act, you're missing the forest for the trees. Right. Um, you know, I, when I was, uh, in Midland, Deb uh, Shaw basically was like, hey, I contest manage at all of these different contests. You're going to go with me and act as my stage manager. And, I, you know, I didn't I didn't know anything. I, I directed my one one act, um, but they basically became her kind of ride along and was her stage manager. And so I got to see all of these schools compete and, and perform and. I didn't have a dog in the fight. And so I really was able to just watch how, how all of this comes together and how all this happens. And, you know, for any, 
any new teacher, I'm like, go, go to contests, go. If you see one that's in the area, go, because even on their worst day, you know, worst quote unquote school, it's still going to be great. They're still going to do great work. There's still going to be amazing things about it that you'll see. And, and you can basically pilfer ideas, you know, for things because we all, we all borrow, but, um, the, the importance that's been placed on it really does suck a lot of the fun and kind of magic out of it. I think, um, you know, I definitely have had similar experiences as a contest manager where schools have had to drop, excuse me, due to lack of funding or lack of interest, which is heartbreaking. Um, and, you know, when you make it that it's so important and, you know, yes, it's important. And yes, it does a lot of good, great things, but it's not the most important. It's not, you know, I, the thing I love about theater and teaching theater is the relationships that I get to establish with my students and the the way I get to see them grow and change because I see them year to year to year. And none of that stuff, none of the stuff that I love about theater is measured by one act. Right. None of, you know, it, it's a cherry on the year, but it's not a determiner for my job satisfaction or, or anything like that. Right. So this really isn't a tech tip, I guess. I guess it is a, it's for educators, but there's a website called the lightingarchive.org. I will put it in the description and it has a ton of stuff. If you have a kid that wants to learn more about lighting, it has people, famous lighting designers, plots, and the equipment that they use and equipment that is just available. It has uh, plots by designer, by genre. Um, it has support materials so that you can teach gooder, uh, all this kind of stuff. But it's lighting archive, thelightingarchive.org. It's a wonderful website, especially if you don't know anything about lighting and you want to just kind of say, hey, kid, I know you've shown some interest in doing this here. Here's some stuff. Enjoy. It would be interesting if one act play was designed similar to like a football season where every weekend you either performed on your campus or you went to another campus and you performed and you did that for eight weeks. And then based based on how you did each week against whatever school, you either made it or you didn't make it to the playoffs. And <laughs> I mean, I'm here for it. I, you know, I mentioned earlier that I uh, did debate in, um, in high school. Hold yeah. on, sorry. I've got... Um, and you know, I, we spent every weekend traveling all different places and, and doing debate stuff. So, I mean, the debate kids do it. I, yeah. I feel like the theater kids could, um, you know, I think we have to come up with some, maybe some different parameters. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, but I think, yeah, like why not do it that way? And, and even, even DI. Yeah. Even yeah. The, the DI kids. Yeah. Yeah. So, cause I've seen those kids, they, they take like full, why well, would, I don't want to say full sets, but they, you know, they have pretty uh, immaculate scenery and all that kind of stuff that they take, to their uh, contests that and and 
set of props, scenery, all that kind of stuff. So, well, you know, uh, a few years ago, I, I remember um, there being schools. And again, this is when I was uh, helping, you know, run contests and stuff. So no dog in the fight, but I remember school showing up with like a full semi truck of furniture and stuff. And I was just like, what in the hell? Um, and you know, now I've done, you know, what I affectionately call the kitchen sink shows where, you know, you've got 10 million items that you've got to set up in your seven minutes. And I do wonder, you know, if we were to do like the, the football type thing where it's eight weeks of, of contest and, but even just in general, I wonder if there isn't a way to make the contest more equitable anyway. Yeah. And if we were to say, you know, I I don't want to be too restrictive, but like, you know, if we, if every school one to six, a had access to the exact same items, yeah. you know, the same extra lighting pieces, the same consoles, sound consoles, you know, things like that. If everybody had access to just exactly the same stuff, right. And, you know, if you're doing an eight week cycle or something, you know, that nature, you would have to edit a little bit right. of what you're, you're moving and whatnot. Um, but no, I'm here for that. Like, I yeah. think that would be, uh, it'd be exhausting and yeah. we'd have to find an interesting place in, in the year for it to fit. Um, if we can move our, our contest to Saturdays because right. having them in the middle of the week is no fun. Yeah. Um, you. But yeah, like I think that there's a lot of potential for it to grow into and evolve evolve into a contest that does what I think One Act wants to do. And that is to encourage growth and excitement about, you know, and and education within theater and our students. Right now, I think the focus, either intentionally or unintentionally, is the awards. And the advancing. Right. And yeah, that it's great, but it's not the point. Right. And so, you know, I think if we could move maybe closer back to like why we are doing this and why we do it this way. And, you know, I think that would be, I think that would be useful. Yeah. Just across the board. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Like, uh, uh, yeah. So, and, and also those people that say, I, could agree more anyway but yeah that's a different story too <laughs> i could care less well then why don't you um yeah so i gotta ask you uh not to completely switch gears but i kind of want to and you don't have to uh out anybody or any any company but you said you went about a year to the private sector um and my dogs are mad at something but they probably saw their shadow but um uh what is it about the private sector that you just kind of, that wasn't your thing that, that you just didn't like? Um, so I went to work for a, um, an electromagnetic testing facility. Um, so whenever companies, um, you know, like Dell, when they produce, um, big servers and things, they have to go through anything that's electronic, anything that plugs into the wall has to go through this testing to determine, safety and different regulatory things. Anyway, um, so it's a bunch of science, which is definitely not my forte, uh, but I was hired on as a technical writer. So once all of that testing was done, I would put together the um, the report. So basically t- take all the stuff the engineers had done and then um, kind of lay it all out uh, in a way 
where they could submit that information, that document to different federal and international regulatory company or uh, organizations uh, to get all of their coding, like UL and all of that stuff. Um, so I got hired because I had an English degree and it was a technical writing position. Those two things are so far apart. Um, you know, technical writing is its own thing. Um, so even in my interview, they were having, they kind of tested to see how quickly I can type. And luckily I can type fairly quickly. Um, but immediately they were like, why do you use so many adjectives? And I'm like, cause I'm describing it. And they're like, no, you just need to say what it is. I'm like, no, no, no. Like that's, that's terrible. That's boring. And they're like, yeah, it's technical writing. Like it's, you just got to say what it is. Um, so that was hard. That was a challenge to not have the ability to be flowery with my speech and, and those kinds of things. Um, and working with a bunch of engineers, I'm sure there are engineers that exist in the world that are entertaining and fun and funny. Um, but they are very kind of, um, uh, boring is really the, the answer by the word, but, uh, very kind people, but just not a lot of personality there. Um, but after about a month, a month and a half, and I'd gotten the hang of doing what I was doing, everything was exactly the same. You open up the Word document, you dump this, this, and this in, you make sure that it's all formatted correctly, you send it off, you do it again, you do it again, you do it again. And I was working by myself in an office cubicle. Um, so I had very little interaction with anybody else. Um, and it was just the same thing, like over and over and over and over for a full year. And I missed that interaction with people, you know, um, I missed doing different things every day. You know, when I would walk into my classroom, um, I missed having the autonomy to say, okay, this is what we're going to learn now, or this is what we're going to study now. And, um, it was just, uh, for me, it was not a great fit. Um, and I also very selfishly missed having, you know, my weekends and having summer off and having an opportunity to do anything else. You know, it was lovely working nine to five and going home and doing nothing. You know, I had no requirements of my time beyond that. And if I didn't finish it, you know, I just picked it up the next day. That was nice. Um, but it was definitely not what I was used to. Um, and, you know, my wife at the time was definitely not used to having me home um, like that. And so that was interesting. But, yeah, it was just very unfulfilling. I didn't feel like I contributed anything. I didn't feel like I was creating anything. And for me personally, I have to, I just, my, the way that I find value for myself is what I am contributing and what I am creating. And I just didn't feel like I was doing any of that. Yeah. So then when you step back into the classroom, uh, what, what was there like this moment of like, I'm home or I like this, like, like this was, there's this, this feeling of just being kind of like back to what you knew you needed to be doing. Yeah, I kind of felt like at that point I'd been teaching for six years and and then took the year off. Um, so I felt like I had my feet under me. You know, they say if you're in it for five, you'll be in it forever. So like I kind of felt like I knew what was going on. Took the year off, was incredibly, you know, just unhappy. Came back and I felt like a brand new teacher. Like I was super excited uh, and I was I volunteered for like every committee and 
I did all of the things and, and was very engaged in what was going on on campus. Um, anything I could do to like jump in and, um, make campus life better is, is where I, where I was. And it was just an overall excitement. Um, the, you know, the second year I was in Elgin, I ended up, um, my theater numbers had grown to such an extent that I had more theater kids than I had English kids. So they moved me over to theater full time. So I only taught English for a year before I had my own program. And, um, and that was super exciting. I was able to teach a film class, which I love. Um, I was able to do all of this stuff um, with the kids. I did uh, UIL. I was the UIL coordinator for our campus. So I did academic UIL and um, I ended up being the GT coordinator for that campus. And I just, I loved it. I, I loved everything about being back in the school and, you know, even on its hardest days, it was still what I loved. It, you know, I, I have told my kids and several parents along the way who were just like, I don't know how you deal with kids, you know, all day. Like the day that it stops being fun, the day that I stop really loving it. And the day that I start dreading that drive to work is the day that I will get out. And, um, and I, and I mean that earnestly, you know, I think I, I am not Pollyanna about education at all. Generally, I see myself very much as a teacher first and a director second. And I think, you know, the state of education right now is very tenuous. Um, but I still love it. I still love teaching. I still love working with students. I love working with most of the parents. I love working with most of the teachers. I've been very fortunate that I've always had incredibly supportive administrators. I, I don't know how I have lucked into that. Um, but my administrators have been phenomenal, just one right after the other. And, you know, the day that I am like, I can't, I don't want to do this anymore. Then that's, that, that'll be all I need to know. And I'll move on to something else. I'll go work at Home Depot or something because I am there all the time anyway. You know, I'll, I'll do something, you know, I'll figure out an outlet. Uh, but for now, you know, I really do love it. I'm lucky enough that my family understands that passion and that love. And they're very supportive. They're at every single thing that we do. And they show up for rehearsals and hang out because they know that that's where I am. And, um, you know, I, I have been able to balance my, my personal life with my school life. And it's not perfect, but it is, you know, it's a good, it's a good life. I, you know, I really I do love it. Minor wisdom.